going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Well, greetings and salutations, my friends. A very happy Thursday. It's one of those moments where I'm like, I feel like a TV news anchor where it's like, good evening. And then I'm going to tell you about all the things that are not so good about it. It kind of feels that way. It's not that it's not good. It's just politics. I was hoping I'd be able to go at least a couple of days without having to rant about things. But that's how we're going to open up the show. How do you feel about the selection campaign that we're in? It's been made clear that we're in an election campaign. But I might have said something that has really kind of ruffled a few feathers. And so we'll dive into that in just a few minutes. And I'm going to take your calls Do you think we need to have an election called right now, or would you rather wait until the investigation surrounding Jason Kenney and the UCP and all the allegations are finally cleared up? I'll give you some rationale. You can call in 403-974-8255 if you'd like to weigh in on that in just a few minutes. Also laying out the rest of the show today, like I said, it's not like I wanted to talk politics because I'd like to go a few days without, but here we are. And uh, on the federal stage, a couple of big stories that uh, Brenda just talked about, one being Trans Mountain. Did we overpay or is it more of a matter of we're reading? We didn't bother reading the whole report. Kent Fellows from the University of Calgary will join us after 530 to dive into that very question because there's a lot of uh, political grandstanding that's been going on when it comes to that. If you only read to the third paragraph of the report, it amazes me. It's it's one thing to have just normal, everyday people not read a whole report. I mean, they're, they can be really dry sometimes, clearly. But when politicians do it, and in particular in the House of Commons during question period, both sides, the conservatives... Actually, all three sides, conservatives, NDP and the liberals all going off their talking points and not realizing, oh, yeah, there's there's actually more to the report than just, you know, hey, did we overpay for it? So Kent will dive into that uh, after 530. We'll also get the latest from the Humboldt court uh, court case. Richard Cloutier has been doing a fantastic job for us, keeping us up to date on what's being said and yet another turn in all of this today as Jaskrat sings to do spoke to the court today. So we'll talk to Richard about what was said. And, and he said that in his 25 years of reporting and being in, in radio, he's never felt that kind of emotion before. So we'll talk to Richard uh, after five o'clock on that front. We'll also talk about that big, uh, speaking of politics, the other big one, Trans Mountain. We talked about Trans Mountain, whether we overpaid. The other one has to do with reclaimed well sites. And we'll have uh, someone who knows a lot about it. Coming up after four o'clock to dive more into not just the the legalese that's involved in it, but the reaction when it comes to that as well. Like I said, 403-974-8255. If you want to weigh in on whether or not we should call the election right here, right now. I'll give you my two cents in just two seconds. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Let's get into this. So this is what sparked up the whole conversation altogether. Listening to politicians talking like politicians. But not only that, here we are. We don't have an election. Or 
Kiwi. So in response to a very challenging time, we kept our focus on making life better for people. Instead of building sky palaces for ourselves, we built, we built schools for our kids. Instead of handing out taxpayer-funded golf memberships to political insiders, we provided free school lunches to over 30,000 kids, the kids who need them most. Instead of giving a tax break to the people who make the absolute most, we focused on those who make the least and we increased the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Each and every day, we carried forth with the conviction that government is here to work for everybody, not just those at the top. And this, my friends, is what the next election in Alberta is going to come down to. And it's what I want to speak to you about today. And clearly that's all part of a rally that was held here in Calgary by Premier Rachel Notley. To no one's surprise, it's not like I haven't been saying this for the last, I don't know, month and a half or so, is the minute that I started seeing, hey, we're making a announcement, a funding announcement. Okay, you go to it as a reporter thinking, hey, I wonder what this is about. And then it becomes a rehash of something that was brought up during the last budget. And that's when you start to, the wheels start to turn. And so I, I went out on a limb and I tweeted this out. It's time to drop the writ. The fact that we're seeing campaigning without an election call is ridiculous. The NDP and other parties were screaming from the rooftops when the PCs did it. And NDP claimed they'd govern differently. No different on this particular issue, apparently. Now, there, are, there have been some great points on both sides. Don't get me wrong. And, and I want to open up your eyes to this because I know sometimes in our, our own echo chambers we hear, we just want to have the election, right? Like we want to vote against the governing, governing party, which is fair. But there are some very valid points on both sides here. Of course, the UCP would want the election sooner. Why? Because it would happen before all the investigations were complete and all those things, the probes that are happening surrounding what happened during the leadership race. So a lot of people who responded to my initial tweet are saying, hey, we want that to be found out now. Here's what I, I, I'm curious about is this is the quandary that Albertans find themselves in right now. There's this scream for change. We need to change things right now, yet we don't have the foresight, nor do we really want to have the foresight to understand what that change might actually mean or how it'll affect us. And so I beg the question, are either of the two, uh, two perceived frontrunners really worthy of forming the next government if an election were called right now? Honestly, I, I don't know. I want to be able to see their platforms before I decide whether or not either of them are, are worthy of. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you want to be the governing party, you sure as heck better act like it right now. And I don't know if either are right now. They're prepping like they are, but I, I don't know. And, and let, me get, let me put this out there. There are other options out there in the form of the Liberal Party, the Alberta Party, the Freedom Conservative Party, all the other parties. But I don't know if Albertans are willing to really even give them a sniff. And I was going to say, judging by the polls, 
Did you see what happened in BC yesterday? Main Street got their tails handed to them again. And again, I know that pollsters are going to be sitting there going, don't judge the numbers. Don't judge us by everybody else. Okay, cool. Here's another challenge. The NDP actually has the advantage right now because they're able to hide their campaign efforts as funding announcements. It's no different than the Prentice government. It's no different than the Stelmack government. It's no different than the Klein government. It's no different than the Harper government. It's no different than the Trudeau government. They all do it. We're clearly in an election campaign right now. So we, being media outlets and consumers of media who are listening to radio stations such as this, need to be super vigilant in how we cover and how we listen to them. Don't take the announcement and act like it's, hey, this is a new news story. I will argue yesterday's was a little bit of an exception when it comes to the green line because there was some there was a signature written on this. But for most others, and I'll, I'll cite the one the, the cancer center announcement the premier was at here. You need to look at that. You need to cover them because you never know what's going to be said. But at the same time, you can't be, hey, the, the province is continuing to say that it's going to be like that's not news. So be really, really careful about this because At the end of the day, the longer we wait for an election call, the more we have to scrutinize everything. And the problem being is right now, as it stands, in my humble opinion, is the NDP are campaigning on taxpayer dollars. The reason they can do that is because and and some have gone, oh, well, the Harper government did it. Yeah. But again, I go back to that initial point where. We were told that this government was going to act, this party was going to act differently if they were put in government, and they're not acting any differently. The other part is the minute that the writ is dropped is a minute that the parties actually have to start using their own campaign funds, and nobody wants to do that. So you're going to see this over politicization of every announcement, and it's getting ridiculous. Anyways. It's my call to action, (laughs) 403-974-8255. If you'd like to weigh in on this, do you want an election right now? Or do you want to wait until all the investigations and all the probes surrounding Jason Kenney are done so we can get the real answers? So we know what we're voting for if we are going to be voting for change. Again, these are all ifs because I'm not going to uh, assume anything at this point. Cliff's on the line. Cliff, what do you think about this? You know what? Uh, I I don't care what probes are going on about Jason Kenney right now. I've known him for over 30 years. He's a good man. And if you want to find dirt, you're going to find dirt on Notley flying your family and friends and, and whoever around. If you look deep enough in the government records, but they just try to hide it. I won an election today. You know, they talked about minimum wage is going to help people. Well, my wife works in healthcare in a group home. And she used to get paid 20 hours a day when the minimum wage was lower two years ago. They increased the minimum wage. So then her employer says, we're not paying you anymore because the government allowed us to set hours. We now pay you for 16. Her salary stayed the same. They just raised the wage to $15 an hour. Since she no longer gets paid for, you know, 16 hours a day, they now pay her for 12. So the minimum wage went up. My wife's salary has remained the same. The work has remained the same. She's still there 24 hours a day, but they pay her for less. So the great, great show, Notley, has got to go. 
Cliff, appreciate the call. Thanks for that. Let's head on over to Doreen. Doreen, what's on your mind? You mentioned taxpayers' dollars. What mm-hmm. about Jason Kenney never working in the real world outside of politics? <laughs> and if he continues to stay in politics, he will have worked his entire life being paid for by the taxpayer. And he's criticizing what, what is called a socialist government that we have now. What about Rachel? What about Rachel? If you're going to slam Jason for never living in the real world, she's been an MLA for how long and her family's been in the, in the, in the business for how long? Correct. To be fair. But he is a university dropout. She has gone on to, I believe she has a legal degree, correct? She was a lawyer. I can't remember off the top of my head. I can Google it later. Pardon me? I, I can't remember who's got what on, uh, off does. the top of my head. She, but. she has a legal background, I believe. But anyhow, that's my opinion of Jason Kenney, and I just find him too smug, and I think we have enough problems with a puppet prime minister. We don't need a puppet premier. Someone is going to pull his strings. He doesn't have the experience to be a premier. Appreciate the call, Doreen. Thanks so much for that. 974-8255. You can put a 403 in front of that. I've great that the first two calls were on total opposite ends of the spectrum. So this is how divided we are on terms of even whether or not we want an election right now. Right this very moment. That's the question. Do you want it right now? Can we stop with political gamesmanship and actually just move on and let's let's get down to talking actual policy instead of pretending like these funding announcements are nothing more than political grandstanding? Or do you want to wait to find out what exactly some of these probes have to do with Jason Kenney so we can get to the bottom of what's going on with the UCP and we can finally put some of these, whether they're rumors or truths, to bed? 403-974-8255. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Your call's next. Funny going over to the text line 403-974-8255 to just get a gauge of what the texters are saying because I know a lot of you can't call in right now. It's pretty much 50-52. There are some who really, really want the election now. They can't, it, it couldn't come soon enough. Mind you, there's a few people that would have wanted it about three years ago. On the flip side, there are those who are like, hey, there's a lot of questions surrounding the, the, the thought of next government being the UCP. Head back to the phone lines, 403-974-8255. Let's go to Adam. Adam, what's on your mind here? Hi there. I'm just tired of all the attack ads. Like, there's nothing but attack ads ever. You never hear what your what your person is actually going to stand for. Thank you. <laughs> if I could give you a standing ovation, Adam, I would right now. That is fantastic. Thanks for the call. Thank you. I couldn't agree more with that. And here, here's the thing. I hate the fact that we're already talking about why we need to not vote for somebody. Here's my challenge. And I, I put this out there a while ago. Here's my challenge to all of the parties that are looking to become in or to come into power in this next provincial election. Give me a reason as to why to vote for you. Give me, like, whether it's education, whether it's your fixes for the economy, it's not good enough to say, hey, we're not the NDP, so vote for us. Or on the flip side, it's not enough to say, hey, we're not the UCP, vote for us. Rant over. Back to the phone lines. Don, Don, what would you like to say on this topic? Hi, I just have a couple comments. The lady that said that Jason Kenney was a university dropout, you know what, that makes no difference. 
honestly, you don't have to have a huge high uh, expensive education as has been proven already, whether she's a lawyer or not. But I, I agree with the last gentleman that called in. I'm so sick and tired of hearing all the negative. Can we hear what you're going to do for us instead of what the other party isn't going to do for us? Preaching to the choir, Don. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. 403-974-8255. If you'd like to get in on this discussion, let's head on over to Sean. Sean, you want to wait or do you want to have an election right here, right now? No no holds barred. I want, I want to wait because I want answers because I don't know about you, but I don't see any political mudslinging that ever would have happened if Brian Jean was in Jason Kenney's shoes. Because if you've ever met Brian Jean, which I have, he's Alberta, like stamped, wrapped up in a flag, put in a figurine. He was Alberta to me at Jason Kenney's Ottawa. So if he's slipping and he's doing something legal, I want to find out. I want to see him get a boot and see what happens after that. Because I don't want the next premier having all these scandals chasing him. Because then guess what? In four years, we're back to an NDP majority. Again. (laughs) <laughs> Appreciate it, Sean. Thanks for that. Hey, that's the other question that you got to ask is if let's say we had an election today and all of a sudden after the elections had and let's say the UCP were to win, then all of a sudden you're going to start to see some of these investigations come to light. And what happens if you end up with that? We don't have recall legislation in this province. So would you be happy with, you know, what's for example, what's going on stateside? Got to look that far at the very least. Let's go to Art. Art, what's on your mind here? Hi, Joe. Uh, I, I just find it amazing how Jason Kenney and the Conservatives will yell and scream from the tallest mountain that we're in insurmountable debt, uncontrollable debt. And yet he'll turn around this week and ask Justin Trudeau and the federal government to relax the mortgage uh, rate or the mortgage loaning uh, rules so that we can all in Alberta go into uncontrollable debt. Mm-hmm. That's a very fascinating point. Hey, it's it's good to go. You know, it's good if you have personal debt, but uh, don't you dare about government debt, right? I just wish conservatives would make up their mind what they're really angry about. That's all I have to say. Art, I appreciate it. Uh, let's get one more caller in here. Let's go to Peter. Peter, what is on your mind with this topic? Well, I'd like to see an election right away. Uh, as far as the NDP party is concerned, it's uh, the NDP party of Canada. Uh, there are no provincial... Uh, parties. And the point is, is that Rachel, no matter what her platform is, no matter what she promises, she's still told what to do by those uh, further up the food chain inside the NDP party. I'm not totally sold on that point, Peter, only because we have seen the backlash between Jagmeet Singh and Rachel Notley lately. Yeah, and how'd that work for us? It's not working very well, but she's not there making any friends federally either. So I don't know if you can connect the two parties is all I'm saying. I personally do. All right. That's that's uh, that's the beauty of this show, Peter. Appreciate the call. We are out of time, though. Uh, again, thanks so much for the calls. Uh, there you go. 403-974-8255. We can continue texting at the very least. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Been a lot of reaction today but also a lack of reaction today to the Supreme Court of Canada's decisions surrounding abandoned orphaned wells and what the implications might be for the industry, for the province, for the feds. And I don't know if it's surprisingly, because I think a lot of people are still trying to digest the news. Somebody who's been in it from basically the onset is Christine Lang. She's a public interest law clinic staff lawyer, University of Calgary. Christine, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. 
set the stage for me in terms of just give me a little bit of context here on your involvement with this case. Okay, so um, this case has been brewing for a while and we got in at relatively late stages at the Supreme Court of Canada stage. Um, downtown, the legal services industry, the legal industry generally, academia was all watching what was playing out in Redwater because what you had was an overturning of the settled law on how everybody expected um, expected the play to go when a company goes belly up. Everybody right. thought they knew what was happening. And Alberta Treasury branches came out of nowhere through their receiver, Grant Thornton, and said, yeah, no, we're not playing by the rules that everybody thought we were going to play by and right. went to court. So that was playing out for three years before we got involved. My clinic got involved because... Um, we watched this epic battle lining up at the Supreme Court of Canada between the oil industry of Alberta and CAP on, and the Alberta government on one side and accountants and bankers on the other. Mm. And it's a bit Godzilla versus Mothra. <laughs> and we were looking at it and we were like, comparison. Well, you know, and so, and well, to extend the analogy, nobody really stops to ask the villagers what's happening or the right. people of Tokyo what's really happening on the ground. And we had a group of Southern Alberta farmers reach out to us and say, you know, nobody's paying attention to, to us and we're the ones that are holding the bag when none of this gets done properly. Um, so we had to apply to go to the Supreme Court. We had to um, fight our way in. Some people didn't want us there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got a chance to represent the Action Surface Rights Association at the Supreme Court of Canada, mostly just to remind everybody in the room that there are real people in Alberta that grow our food. And this isn't just a financial services financial instrument, deep policy policy problem, although it is, and there's mm. deep and good legal issues there. There's also real people that are going to be harmed by this if we don't get it right. Right. So from that standpoint, then, when you look at today's ruling, how do you react? How do I react? Or, you know, is, is, are people celebrating? Are they kind of cautiously optimistic? Like, wh what's sort of the mood in the room, so to speak? You know, we're, we're surprised. We didn't expect to have this result. Um, I think probably every Canadian farmer and most Canadians know already that when the lawyers and the accountants and the bankers line up against you to take the last five bucks out of your pocket, usually you don't win that fight. Mm -hmm. um, but So we're surprised at that. We're surprised that we had even what would be a qualified win. But honestly, nobody in my office was, um, or not, my clients certainly weren't jumping up and down because it essentially puts them back in the same position they were in before where you are dealing with um, the Alberta Energy Regulator, which has a very long track record of tending to side with oil industry financers instead of looking really at what would take care of the long-term interests of oil workers, working Alberta families and farmers. See, and that's the interesting part to me is being a small town kid and farm kid is, and granted, we didn't have any oil derricks or anything on our land, unfortunately, no money coming in. <laughs> that's a different story for a different day. But I looked at it and went, Okay, this is actually a good thing because now the industries or the companies have to come forward with a battle plan in case things do go belly up. Because I think sometimes, especially when we are in the height of the boom here in oil and gas is, hey, as soon as you create a company, it's basically a license to, to build money, right? Like you basically had to find a spot get oil and you're you're in the in the riches right this all of a sudden makes there should be a plan of action or am i wrong in that assessment no you're right there's a little bit of a shifting sand there in terms of how how healthy a company is going to have to demonstrate that it is before it obtains financing right and there is there's a legitimate concern i would say a small 
small but legitimate concern. And you're going to hear a hue and cry from the banking industry that we simply cannot finance. This is too much uncertainty. How are we ever going to do that? And um, it's amusing, but we Mm -hmm. shouldn't play into it too much because they are very well positioned to understand where risk lies. And frankly, if and some weak oil companies after this decision probably won't be able to get funding or won't be able to obtain credit and, you know, killing the weak strengthens the herd. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a problem there. Some some are going to fall. The, some loans are not going to get made and that's going to affect some players. Overall though, I think if you're if you're looking at working for a company on the ground, you're a farmer with an oil with an oil company on your land who is set up to potentially everything could go wrong and it could pollute your land very badly for a very long time, having a stronger industry is a good thing. Well, and I was going to say that's that's the key takeaway from this is I think we sometimes think, oh, you know, the the oil company owns the 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 site or the lease site, for example. So they'll deal with it however they see fit. But it's actually on a farmer's land. There's a reason why it's lease. Um, and so when the company goes belly up or the company goes, ah, we don't want this spot anymore before they weren't being held accountable to cleaning up the site and making it go back to uh, where the farmer could utilize it or the rancher could utilize it again. Yeah, and not at all. And there's one of the significant takeaways from this decision is that there is no certainty that that is going to start happening now. And the majority of the court decision was fairly clear on that in finding that just because the Alberta Energy Regulator can be doing this, they haven't been doing that. And the backlog doesn't provide certainty that any of this is actually going to get done. So from this point, as someone who's very well versed in in law, where do we go from here? Who is we? Uh, in terms of both, uh, I'd say industry, landowners, like do you, do you foresee this playing out nicely? Or do you foresee this being something where you know, the, the AER, for example, is going to tie things up and it's, we didn't really get any, anything solved out of today, for example? Right. Well, I think... The AER has already made announcements about how they've got this and they've changed their directors and so on and so forth. Those changes are cosmetic. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're not going to change much and they're not really diving down into the heart of the problem. The oil industry is going to have a more delicate balance to, to try to walk, but it's better than the balance they would have had had the Supreme Court decided that this is completely within the parliament's control, the bankers control the show here, and you have far less leverage as an oil industry when you have to compete with the banks on a federal playing ground instead of being back in the provincial playing ground where they mostly call the shots about what the Alberta Energy Regulator does and does not right. do. So they're okay. I wouldn't worry too much about oil industry. They're they're, they're going to hand ring a little bit. Um, the, the banking and financial services industry is certainly going to tell you that the sky is falling, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's not. Right. We just need to take that, hand them a tissue, call the bluff and move on. Um, and Alberta farmers, and I would say Alberta people in the city as well, if we think this doesn't affect us, it does. Mm-hmm. And we should be paying attention to this. Alberta farmers are back to trying to advocate to get better, get a better deal for surface leases. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of talk about um, there are small ways that don't completely upset the oil industry that you can get money up front for some of these things. And it makes sense because we now know after many, many years of doing this, that companies do go belly up and they Mm -hmm. will disappear and there will be unpaid bills. Just because this ruling has happened, it doesn't mean that's not going to continue to happen. And we still have a massive backlog of oil wells with defunct companies 
that that nobody is really actually going to pay for. This is coming out of the public purse, or quite frankly, it's not going to happen at all. It's going to be distributed along farms one at a time. One family is going to have sick cows. Another family is going to have a bare patch of land they can't farm that gets worse or better depending on how badly the well is leaking. And because that problem is very hard to see and very hard to feel in your gut and very hard to coalesce into something we can all we can all imagine farm families just bear it mm-hmm. and it's their land value that drops. It's their, it's them ironically that can't get the line of credit from the bank that set up the very situation that causes more pollution on their land. That bank is going to turn around in the years to come and blithely inform them that they would love to get, extend more credit, but the terms are going to have to be tougher because you have pollution on your land that you can't get rid of. Well, they never had a choice about it going there in the first place. And that has not changed. There's nothing about this ruling that changes that. Christine, I appreciate the time and the insight today. Thank you so much. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. It says a lot about a court case when veteran reporters say, I've never felt or seen anything like this before. And that's exactly the situation our next guest has found himself in. And not just today, I don't get the feeling of, but certainly over the last few days, uh, Richard Cloutier from CGOB in Winnipeg joining us again. Richard, thanks again for the time. Joe, good to be with you. It has been, uh, I, I imagine, an emotional time for everybody involved. And, and so today, yet another, I don't want to call it a twist, but certainly another chapter in this story certainly being written. Unexpected in the sense that in most cases where somebody is facing jail time, lawyers will say, don't say anything. Let's just try to get through this as much as possible. Mm. And we had been speculating in the days coming up here, would uh, Jiskreet Singh Sidhu actually stand up and not only address the court, but address the parents? And today was a day where the Crown asked for 10-year sentence, 10-year driving ban. The defense outlined a lot of background that we should get to in this case. But right at the end, just before the judge said she's going to reserve her decision until March 22nd, she turned to Mr. Sidhu and said, would you like to say something? And he stood up. And it took him almost a minute to muster the words. He did not look at the judge. He turned, both hands gripping the table. He looked up at the parents and said the following. I can't even imagine what you guys are going through, what you've been through. I have taken the most valuable things of your life. He went on to say, I came out of the truck and I heard the kids crying. At that point, you could hear the parents weeping, some breaking down. It took me time to see, to realize it's a bus, he said. I take full responsibility of what has happened. It happened in the case of my lack of experience, and I am so, 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 so sorry. And then he sat down. And for many of those parents, the words they wanted to hear, because it's one thing for a lawyer to convey the sorrow, the responsibility, but for another person, for this young man, this 30-year-old man, to get up and tell the court, to tell these parents that he takes full responsibility was one of the most dramatic things I have witnessed, not only in courts, but ever in my 25 years 
uh, covering these stories. It was one of those moments. It's one of those moments where somebody takes responsibility for their actions and doesn't defer to a lawyer. And beyond that is... There was no uh, statement from the defense in terms of what they recommended for a sentence either. They suggested case law that would take this between 18 months and four and a half years, but no number at all on this. And interestingly enough, uh, Sidhu is not a Canadian citizen. So if he gets a six-month sentence, he is subject to a deportation order. Uh, what's unclear at this point is whether he serves the sentence here and then has to leave the country thereafter, or would arrangements be made to serve the sentence in his native India. But what really, and, and frankly, I was outraged by this, because the background is he took a one-week course, Joe. Right. He became a professional driver as a result of that. He had a couple of weeks with another driver, and he is driving one of these tandem vehicles, not one but two trailers. And the day that this happened, he had problems. Uh, he went to pick up that order of peat moss, and they tarped it, and there was problems with the tarp. And so he had pulled over to adjust the tarp, and his lawyer conveying to the court that he was likely more focused on that tarp blowing and looking at his mirrors then recognizing all those warning signs that there was a stop sign coming up. Four signs to tell him that there was an intersection ahead. Two warning signs that there was a stop sign. And the stop sign itself, four feet wide, with a big red flashing light on top. And there's still no explanation for him blowing the stop sign. Uh, other than the fact that he was fixated at those tarps. Mm. It's uh, going to be, uh, it's been an emotional time, and I'm sure over the next couple of months as the justice determines what that sentence is going to be, uh, it's going to be a time for the family to uh, to certainly have to deal with. So, uh, Richard, again, I appreciate all the insight and the time into uh, what you've been hearing and seeing in the courtroom. Thanks so much for the time again. Thank you. Richard Cloutier from CJOB in Winnipeg. Uh, I, I know there's been a few people who have said, hey, Joe, how come we haven't heard your take on this? I'm Probably tomorrow. I'm going to save it. I was going to do it today, and then politics got in the way. But it is one of those things where we've been talking a lot about just what has happened. Now that we have a little bit more context and that kind of thing, I think we can. I can let... The, the reporting speak for itself for the next couple or for this week. Tomorrow, I will dive into how I feel about how everything is kind of turned around. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Uh, getting a little shellacked in the court of public opinion over the price tag for the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion that they bought. Uh, a new report from the parliamentary budget officers saying, hey, the, the range of the value of this project was between 3.6 and 4.8 billion. And we as Canadians, not the government, we as Canadians paid $4.4 billion for it. But was a good return on investment? And beyond that is, is that cost right from the PBO? Kent Fellows has a few questions, and he raised them on Twitter, and I wanted to bring him in to expand on it a little bit more. Kent Fellows, Research Associate, University of Calgary. Uh, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. My pleasure. 
you've pointed out something that I, f- I had to laugh and go, <laughs> somebody said it, because even during question period today, a lot of uh, headline readers in the House of Commons, but not a lot of people that clearly uh, looked into some of the context behind what was said in this report. Why are the headlines maybe a little misleading here? Right. Most of the headlines seem to be focusing on kind of a negative connotation from the report. And it's some variation on, well, this proves that the government has overpaid for the pipeline. The price was too hard. They they got taken for a ride. And I I don't think that's actually what the Parliamentary Budget Officer report uh, means to say. So what they do is they do a valuation estimate on the pipeline deal for the Trans Mountain and and the expansion project, which is, uh, you know, still in process. It hasn't been finished yet. That's, That's what a lot of the kerfuffle is about. Um, and they put a number of it on it, a pretty wide range of about $3.6 billion to $4.6 billion. Um, we know the government paid about $4.5, $4.6 billion for it, so uh, one, of the, one of the knee-jerk conclusions is, well, they overpaid. But the, the Parliamentary Budget Office is very clear to point out, very careful to point out, that their valuation doesn't include a bunch of other assets that came with the deal. So they are just looking at the Trans Mountain Pipeline and the, the option on the expansion that's ongoing. Talk a little about some of those related assets that were involved in this deal. Right. So there's there's three big ones. Uh, there's the Puget Sound pipeline. Uh, there's a number of, of terminals that kind of get grouped together, and so those are in Kamloops, uh, Sumas, and Burnaby. Uh, and there's also the Westridge Marine Terminal. So the Puget Sound pipeline, that's kind of a little extender at the end of the uh, at the you know, Trans Mountain pipeline that takes it across uh, the border into the United States. Uh, supplies a couple of refineries in Washington. So I think there's two or three refineries on that line. Uh, the petroleum terminals, Kamloops and Burnaby, those are for, for offloading petroleum onto other transportation modes. And then there's the Westridge Terminal. That's what's filling up the tankers uh, to give coastal access. So, you know, the value of those assets is probably small relative to the pipeline in general. The, the big chunk is the Trans Mountain Pipeline. But those all have positive value. I mean, they're valuable assets. They get used. Uh, they, they generate revenues. So uh, certainly shouldn't be ignored outright. So can you put a dollar figure on the, the value or what the range could or should be given you haven't they haven't necessarily included those those assets so it's tough there's a bunch of different valuation methodologies and i haven't seen anyone put good numbers on it um but but i think it, it would be you know you're, you're definitely looking in the the tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars ranges when you start adding all those things up so so they're they're significant. They're not trivial. Again, small relative to the size of the, the pipeline value. That's that's sort of the gem is the Trans Mountain Pipeline and the expansion. That's the biggest chunk. Um, but, but these guys do have significant value as well. I know when reading through your tweets as well, you also talked about the construction delays and the other risks that are involved on that front. And they're they being maybe more under control with government at helm. Talk about why you came to that conclusion. One of the things that was driving this purchase in the first place is Kinder Morgan was getting cold feet. They saw the risks mounting, there was continuing uncertainty, and the one thing that private shareholders don't like, uh, above all else, is uncertainty in the payoff. You know, you're willing to take a smaller payoff if there's certainty that it's actually going to occur. So with the uncertainty mounting, that's what gave them cold feet. 
all of the things that were driving this uncertainty uh, were things that were on the government side. They were no longer things that were under the control of Kinder Morgan. They couldn't do anything to mitigate these risks. So you look at the, the two big things in the last uh, Supreme Court case or the last court case, uh, they are consideration of uh, species at risk offshore, so the southern resident killer whale population, as well as First Nations consultations. Both of those things, both of those risks are something that's primarily government-driven. So the government has a role to mitigate or the government has a role to come up with the strategy to deal with that rather than the private sector. So they're sort of sitting there going, well, yeah, there's investment risk, but it's not our fault. We have no control over it. The government does. And I think that in part is baked into the uh, the transaction as it occurred. Government has a little bit more control over this, those risks. It makes sense for them to take on that risk as a financial risk. Uh, and that's part of the purchase. As an economist, as a numbers guy, I'm curious, as you look at everything overarching, was this a good deal? So I won't go so far as to say it was a good deal. Uh, I think it was a fair deal to both parties. A price maybe a little bit higher, but I don't think anyone really got the upper hand here and is sort of giggling off to the bank. I mean, I think it was a fair deal, and, and both sides got a fair shake out of it. Whether it's fair or not matters not in politics, is, uh, which has become apparent just watching Question Period and the like so far today. So, uh, Kent, I appreciate the time and a little bit of uh, uh, numerical context to uh, today's report. Always a pleasure. So I've been talking about Question Period I'm going to let you listen for yourself some of the comments from question period. And not taking the questions was Justin Trudeau. It happened to be Finance Minister Bill Morneau. We'll get to that next. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. All right. So, like I said, question period today. I it wasn't the con- the conservatives did ask a few questions about Trans Mountain. The problem being it was all in French. So being an English speaking radio station, I thought that that wouldn't do you any any help. There were some questions, and then there were some more questions. But this one coming from the NDP's Nathan Cullen when it comes to Trans Mountain and the exchange. Got a little testy with Finance Minister Bill Morneau. The Liberals keep telling us how the environment and the economy must go hand in hand, but on the Trans Mountain disaster, the Liberals on the one hand are hammering the environment, and on the other hand are hammering our finances. The PBO reports that this Prime Minister panicked, overpaid a Texas oil company by a billion dollars, and it's now costing Canadians an extra $700 million every year because of the Liberals' flawed environmental assessment was tossed out of court. Well, the Liberals just stopped this. This nightmare. Stop throwing good money after bad and finally start investing in the green economy like they actually promised Canadians they would. The Honourable Minister of Finance. What the Parliamentary Budget Officer said was that, in fact, the purchase of the pipeline is positive for the economy. We want to make sure that those benefits accrue to all Canadians. What they also said was that there was, from their analysis, a range of potential purchase prices. And, in fact, our purchase price was right in the middle of their range. So, clearly, not only a good commercial purchase, but one that's going to be very positive for our economy. We believe that getting our resources to international markets so that 99% of our resources don't go to the United States is the right decision for Canada and for Canadians. Member for Skeena Bulkley Valley. Order. I'd to see this guy at an auction. He'd just keep bidding against himself. They, they paid four and a half billion dollars for a 65-year-old pipeline. Seven hundred million more lost every year 
because of their own failed review. Of, and these clients want to go out and spend another $15 billion building more pipelines than they don't even have a permit. What could possibly go wrong, Mr. Speaker? It's like the Prime Minister went out to buy a house, overpaid for it, didn't insist on a home inspection, and now the roof is leaking. They panicked, they got fleeced by a Texas oil company, and now we're on the hook for their failure. How many boil water advisories could be lifted? How many green jobs could be created? When are these guys going to... We should just start with the fact that the member is incorrect. He actually didn't apparently read the report. What we know, though, most importantly, is that we see that it's important for us to have the capacity to get our oil resources to international markets. We are dependent on, right now, sending 99% of our resources to U.S. markets. And if there was ever a time where Canadians believe that it's important to diversify, now is that time. So this purchase is going to be good for the long-term health for our economy. It's obviously going to be good for our oil sector. And we believe that both those things are quite important. Uh, two key takeaways from that little piece of audio. Number one, is anybody really tired of all the heckling? Like at one point, the speaker had to say order, but that's apparently a really regular thing. You'd think as parliamentarians that they would actually you know, be respectful of each other, but nah. And I know that this has been going on forever, but it'd be nice if we could civilize it just a little bit because it, it detracts from the messages that are actually trying to be sent. Number two, man, all parties seem to be able to cherry pick their facts. <sighs> Not that that's anything new either, but here we are. Uh, so needless to say, the debate will go on over whether it was overpaid or if there's enough context to it. Uh, again, a great chat with Ken Fellows. Uh, if you're going to want to check that out again, if you missed it, by all means, uh, you can head on over to iTunes, Google Play. We After every show, we go and uh, put together a bit of a podcast, a best of, that you can download so you can listen in during the morning. We'll have that one. Usually we get them up uh, within a couple of hours of the show coming to an end. So by all means, head on over to your favorite podcast provider if you want to check that out in the future. One other quick note before we wrap up the show. As we talked about the Alberta election campaign that is on, one of the things that's really bothered me is this back and forth. And one of the responses on Twitter was the best thing about this upcoming election is knowing how many butt hurt snowflakes like you are going to be out there when uh, Kenny gets in. It's going to be awesome. To which I reply, here's a part I hate about this. Politics is now a blood sport. Instead of hoping for the best for our fellow Albertans, we're, ad- we're identifying ourselves by who we vote for, therefore cheering for their demise. It's ridiculous. We can be better. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary today.